0: Hey, fitness enthusiasts, welcome to the Fitness Knobs Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of fitness, health, and performance. I'm your host, Matt Flynn. This isn't your average fitness talk. We explore the nitty-gritty details that fitness enthusiasts crave, from sun exposure to gut health and everything in between. Subscribe now and join us on this journey of learning and curiosity. Share it with your fitness buddies, and help us grow by subscribing, sharing, and leaving a review. Let's unravel the mysteries of exercise, one meticulous discussion at a time. I'm Matt Flynn, your guide to the art of progress. Welcome to the Fitness Snobs Podcast. So today we brought on Curtis. And Curtis, um, Curtis knows, he's very well versed in many different topics from digestion, the immune system, uh, nutrition, exercise programming, this guy's a wealth of knowledge in so many different areas but we decided we wanted to talk specifically on the immune system because that's kind of a, an area that's not really discussed a whole lot kind of in our health and fitness industry. So we're gonna kind of obviously the immune system is a very big topic. So we want to kind of talk, talk a little bit about the interplay between the immune system, exercise, and nutrition, kind of those two main subjects, and we'll just see where this conversation goes. but before we get started, um Curtis, for the people that don't know you, can you give us a little bit of background about who you are, a little bit about, a little bit about your history, your- cred- credentials, those sorts of things for sure so. Myself personally started my journey because
1: I had a whole array of health issues: candida, mold, mycotoxins, SIBO, Clostridia, immune issues—you name it. Sleep apnea, all these kind of things. A lot of it was self-inflicted, <laughs> but so, so that led me to you know start studying nutrition and whatnot. And you know, you start with the basic courses, and then you kind of just go from there. And I find, like, I'm sure you could speak on this yourself as well, that you get a client and you help them and they're happy. So they start referring you, but then they refer you someone that you're like, you have no idea what to do with this person because they have more severe issues that you've never encountered before. And I just, I don't know if just the way life works and whatnot, but I just happen to get these clients. And so for those that don't know, I actually, one of my big pushers into what I do now is I was actually featured on the news for helping save a man's life from terminal prostate cancer. So that's where I really began to dive into what we call functional medicine. Um, you know, sometimes these terms get a bad name. Simply, we're looking at the why, right? We look at why did, why did this individual get cancer, right? Why is this person? I was going to say, also, I met some people from the UK and I learned a lot about, you know, the why in that spectrum to do with diabetes and infertility and whatnot. And so just one thing leads to another and you're hungry for more and you want to be able to help these people. So you start diving in and start learning about genetics, the immune system, then it got into gut health and then it get into mold. And you just dive into all these avenues and that's why functional, like you mentioned, a wealth of knowledge, Well, as a functional practitioner, you have to be. Because you are getting these cases that these people have seen a bunch of specialists. They've gone to other coaches and they've either gotten a little better and then relapsed or they can't quite get over this hump that's still plaguing them. So then it's you got to go back to the why. And that's exact, that's what I do. And in in regards to certification, like there's so many, like there's so many, like on my website, I have a full list, but mainly mentoring,
0: a lot of mentoring. Who have you mentored with? most and kind of the realms of what's this focus on today, kind of immunity. So in regards to immunity, it's a lot
1: to do with Dr. Kurt Waller, Mm -hmm. uh, mainly because, which we'll get into a lot of, we're going to learn that like fungus and mold play one of the biggest effects on immunity on the immune system. And so lots with Dr. Kurt Waller, Dr. Gene Shaw, um, there's just like, I try to piece as many together as I can And then trying to like, I won't say filter through the BS because these are highly, highly intelligent people. But when you are a practitioner, that means you're putting things into practice. So you can see, okay, this piece of information that I acquired from Kurt Waller works on, let's say you, Matthew, but from Gene Shaw, it doesn't work on me, if that makes sense. And so... I try to find like a bunch of different avenues and not become biased to one individual but I will say Kurt Waller and Dr. Stuart Gillespie unfortunately no relation (laughs) but um, those two are the in regards to immunity they're the biggest by far like Mm -hmm. very and I wanted to say that too like when we talk about the immune system obviously the goal of you know, a podcast or this podcast is to keep it as simple as possible, but it's an extremely complex topic. So there's so many variables involved. And so hopefully I can cover enough that doesn't leave anybody guessing or implementing incorrect things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a big topic. It's very it's, it's a headache.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. So let's just start off by asking you, like, what is the immune system? Like, I, I feel like most people listening to this podcast have probably heard about like, T cells and macrophages and all the things that you would learn in biology but what do you think is a kind of a good way to start this podcast in terms of like just defining what is the immune system so what i actually like to explain like in regards to
1: like what is the immune system is kind of like using analogies and so what i'll explain think of the immune system as a grizzly bear right it's big it's ferocious it protects its cubs and you don't want to mess with it That's the biggest thing. Like, I'm sure we've all heard audio or videos (laughs) and things of grizzly bears attacking and whatnot. (laughs) And so, it's something that we just don't want to mess with, or you know, or shall I say, other organisms that are not us don't want to mess with. And so, you want to keep you want to nourish your grizzly bear, right? You want to keep it happy, and you want to well, actually, you want to keep it ferocious. (laughs) Is realistically what you want to do. And I, I like explaining it as a grizzly bear because. When I begin to break down how things work, I find people can relate that, and and we know it fights pathogens, it fights cancer, foreign invaders, it fights everything that it believes is not supposed to be in your body mm-hmm. from a DNA genetic perspective, and that's yep. a simple way that I kind of explain it. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't believe that this should be in here, the immune system is going to react to that, and how it reacts is. Heavily dependent on what's going on, and that we can get into. Okay. So,
0: so like, there's there's a lot of conversation now around kind of the guts, and that the immune system is is um, is within the gut. Most of the immune cells are in the gut. Is that is that an accurate statement in your opinion?
1: So yes, it is. And my beef with something like that is. When we say, uh, make a comment like that, this is our vision. Now we're a very tunnel vision. And so we go, okay, if, if 80% of the immune system is housed in the gut, which is the correct, you know, what the literature says, then we only focus on the gut and gut health has become such a big topic now and such a hot topic. Everyone's a gut health expert. All of a sudden everyone knows, That's one day someone told you to eat kimchi and all of a sudden they're a gut health expert because kimchi helped you feel a little better, right? And so I have a lot of beef in regards to that because Mm -hmm. one, we become very tunnel vision and two, just like the immune system, the gut is so complex. But we have to look at other things like, think of it, it starts like your tonsils. It's -hmm. like the first encounter, your tonsils. We look at your lymph nodes. We look at your spleen, your appendix, Stomach line, like we look at all these other areas that are involved in the immune system. And so, if we're only focusing on the gut, and I've done this myself, so this is speaking from failure. Like, you mm-hmm. just focus on the gut, and these individuals don't get any better, or once again, slightly better, but then there's that relapse that occurs. And so, that's so when that comes to that statement, I mean, according to the literature, that is correct, but let's not just focus on the gut.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, if it's not just the gut, then um, in terms of the whole immune system, do we have essentially then a bunch of systems at play that contribute to your overall immune function, immune response and whatnot? 100%, right? And then that's where the argument will
1: go back. Okay, well, let's say it's an adrenal issue, which then makes a thyroid issue, right? So, well, where's that coming from? the liver. Okay, well, where's that issue coming from? Then they go back to the gut. And so this is why, so everything leads back to the gut. And then these systems, which are affecting these systems negatively to play a role in the immune system, whether it's suppressing it or causing it to become overactive, leading to autoimmunity. So we bring everything back to the gut. Now, Mm -hmm. does that mean we have to address the gut initially? Not always. We could support these other systems because you're going to have a hard time dealing with the organisms that are affecting the gut without that grizzly bear.
0: So, we got to get that grizzly bear back. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And
1: so, that would be a lot like,
0: involved. Yeah, that would be like the, the liver, like you said, the spleen, the tonsils, the lymph nodes, all those things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, can you eat uh, just from my knowledge and just remembering kind of biology class? There was, I remember that they, The teachers would speak about kind of there's two branches of the immune system. Do you want to go into those two different branches of the of that?
1: Yeah. And what I'll say is, is I like referring to three branches. Okay. so I believe what you're referring to is the innate side and the adaptive side. Absolutely. And we'll also talk about pathways because that is going to be very important. But when we look at the innate side, so we got that initiation, that's going to be what responds. I'll keep it very simple. We won't talk like pathogen. We'll talk about like you banged your knee. So you banged your knee, you caused tissue damage. That tissue damage is dangerous to the body now because it's toxic. So the immune system is going to initiate a response. And in most cases, that's going to be your neutrophils. So that's going to be like your frontline soldiers. They're the head of the pack. They're gonna go in and respond. And with like if you look at the uh, the literature, within like 42 minutes, you can just see a whole swarm of neutrophils coming to that damaged site, kind of idea. And when when you really look at that, that's known as a cell danger response.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very explanatory. Cell danger, it's in danger. So that initiation response is gonna initiate phase one, which is where the mitochondria is gonna protect itself. So this is where it slows down hence the fatigue you get when you're injured or sick because we don't want to overspin that mitochondria creating reactive oxygen species free radicals etc because
0: that will just be potentially more damage to that injured area
1: yeah and which will as we go through i'll make more sense of that but yeah. so that's where a lot of people they're familiar with initiation and then the adaptive and so that's like your b and t cells so in, the innate immune system is like your neutrophils, your sinophils, your basophils, your monocytes, your macrophages, those kind of things, dendric cells, most people aren't familiar with that. Mm-hmm. So we have those innate responders. But then when we have the adaptive side, your B and T cells, think of them, they're just memory, right? They, they're antigen, antibody producing, they remember what happens. Mm-hmm. And so this is where, why, when, you know, the whole point of like a flu shot is to create that adaptive side of the immune system. So where a lot of people don't discuss, and just my experience, I could be wrong about this, is the resolve side of the immune system. Mm-hmm. So you have the initiation. So I'll just go into detail on this. So you have a pathogen, okay? So you're gonna most likely send out a neutrophil, and that neutrophil is gonna come and it's gonna engulf that pathogen, and it's going to become apoptotic. Apoptotic means cell death, so it's breaking down this pathogen. Mm -hmm. Well, we then need the resolve side. That's where the monocytes produce macrophages which come in and they eat this up and they take it into the lymphatic system. And so when we look at the immune response, a lot of times we're not looking at that resolve side. We're seeing a lack of resolve. Mm -hmm. Why? So many insults, environmental toxins, stress, you name it, bacterial infections, fungus, mold, whatever it may be, excessive training, even. So, we're not producing enough of these macrophages to clear out these apoptotic cells, these bad cells that are releasing toxins.
0: Mm-hmm. So, the, so that's the, the, the innate phase of the immune response is happening. Um, and then this resolve piece like you said, where the macrophages are coming in and kind of breaking up the pathogen or virus or whatever the immune system is attacking. And then essentially those that, that is not the third piece isn't happening sufficiently or is it just a lack of some other systems system that's not allowing that kind of pathogen to get out of the body and that's where we maybe have relapses or lack of improvements or just continued illness is that kind of what you're talking about
1: yeah so like when we look at low macrophagy production once again that's going to be like stress environmental toxins etc path mm-hmm. uh, bacteria fungus whatever then we look at the lymphatic system Okay. The lymphatic system is one, I'm not really sh- sure why, it, you know, kind of like, people don't really focus on it. They don't focus on it. And you can really see, like, you'll see, like, you'll see it a lot in women. They have swollen armpits. They have, you know, people say their lymph nodes. They're familiar with their lymph nodes on their neck and everything being swollen. The back of your knees. Like when I mm-hmm. assess body composition photos, I'm always looking at the back of the knees. You'll mm-hmm. see how puffy they are. So these, this lymphatic system is not clearing. It's not pushing through the liver, and this is where we get chronic inflammation. Or we get it because you're not even getting those, those macrophages, aren't even taking those apoptotic cells into the lymphatic system. So there's something going on in this individual that is causing this inability to clear this inflammation. mm
0: mm-hmm. So the, the lymphatic system. I know that exercise can help kind of promote the flow of the, of the lymphatic system, uh, and in Chinese medicine, it seems like the that's kind of l- l- the lymphatic system is discussed more more often than in the, in the Western medicine. is there is there ways that we um, as humans can kind of get that lymphatic system working more efficiently to help this more kind of resolve based side of the immune system?
1: Yeah. So uh, ironically enough, funnily enough, I guess, you know, those plates that you stand on and shake you really hard, those actually support lymphatic because your lymph system doesn't have a pump like your cardiovascular system. It, it doesn't, you know, like your heart is responsible for pumping blood. You don't have anything pumping the lymphatic system. So that is where, yes, exercise because muscle contractions, movement helps, but jarring, jarring really helps this is why you see the chinese there's a lot of like you even see like i watch the wolf of wall street when he's hitting here he's hitting that thymus gland right and mm-hmm. promoting flow the it's slapping promotes this lymphatic system but now the lymphatic system is, is barely under the skin and one of the reasons why the chinese are so much more familiar with it is because like they would cut people open a lot and so they had a better idea of what was going on. <laughs> Western society didn't become very familiar with the Sanjiao until like 2018, where the Chinese have known about it for years. So that's where mm-hmm. herbs can come in. So we look at things like burdock, dandelion, beetroots, roots, all these kind of things, the like a lot of herbs play a role in promoting that lymphatic flow. But what something that I want to comment on is there's never just one piece to the puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll have somebody and they'll take, okay, so somebody may listen to this podcast and then they'll take these nutrients and they may feel worse or nothing at all. And they'll say those nutrients don't work. Well, no, it doesn't just dissipate. It doesn't just disappear. It has to go through the liver, then through the gut, then like through the kidney stool, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're not supporting the rest of that movement by supporting the liver, supporting bile, supporting peristalsis, etc then you're just backing more things up.
0: Yeah. And so when you use these, everything has to work in conjunction. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the whole kind of functional medicine piece comes into yes. play. Looking at the body as a system rather than one individual piece. Yes, that's exactly it. Okay. Yeah. Let's dive into a little bit around... Um, how exercise affects our immune system. Because you hear a lot of people saying that the exercise can be very stressful on our immune system. People end up getting getting sick as a result of maybe too much exercise. And then on the other side of the coin, you have people saying that you need exercise to have a healthy immune system. Can we kind of go into a little bit about, um, if we do Kind of the extremes we're not doing any exercise, and then if we're doing too much exercise and how that affects and impacts our immune system. Okay, let's
1: start with too much exercise because I encounter this a lot like when people consult for help and they don't think exercise is a culprit of their issues because you read all these benefits about exercise, Mm -hmm. and I think I've mentioned this to you and everyone like a broken record. It's not what you do, it's what you can recover from. It's what you can adapt to. So anything, whether that's sauna, cold exposure, red light therapy, all these super healthy things, if you're not adapting to them, they're not benefiting you. So when we look at excessive exercise, and we do see this a lot in the bodybuilding community, that's more so amongst females than males. One, we're gonna see high levels of cortisol, and high levels of adrenaline so on on cortisol cortisol eventually suppresses the immune system so that gets confusing for people because you have people with immune issues so they go on hydrocortisone they go on cortisone shots which think of it just injecting yourself with cortisol that's mm-hmm. because they're experiencing adrenal insufficiency so they don't have optimal levels of cortisol to promote a healthy immune response hmm so, but in before that adrenal insufficiency, we're going to see a reduction in receptors to do with the immune system. We're going to see a reduction in lymphocytes. So, your adaptive immune response. This is why people can stay sick for long. But let remember, we, we go back to the gut lots of times when discussing health. Cortisol and adrenaline eat away at the gut lining.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, that's going to create a whole load of issues. Think of having really bad soil. Your garden's going to grow a bunch of weeds.
0: Yeah.
1: Adrenaline will also or I should say has the potential to feed pathogens, bacteria, et cetera, up to 10,000% more. So now we're getting this constant feeding of these pathogens that are secreting these toxins that are causing immunosuppression, that are destroying the gut lining, that are causing inflammatory (laughs) responses, cell danger responses, mitochondrial apoptosis, so cell suicide in the liver and the kidneys. So yeah. we can't get them out and we just keep exercising because we feel good when we do that exercise. Well, that's because you have adrenal insufficiency in a suppressed immune system. So that release of endorphins and adrenaline is the only time you feel good because you're so stressed out. Yeah. It just sounds like a vicious cycle to me, right? Yeah, exactly. And so that's where like, you know, when they say eating our food, okay, well, if you already have that overgrowth of, provolta morganella bacillus all these bacterial strains SIBO, small intestine bacteria overgrowth or you have candida overgrowth Clostridia, whatever more food is just going to fuel that it's mm-hmm. just going to feed into that but these people don't want to stop exercise because it's the only thing that makes them feel good right now that's when reality that's what they need to do they need to lessen the exercise like some people have mm-hmm. to completely pull them from it Because they have been like they're either adrenal fatigue or adrenal insufficiency. They haven't been eating enough calories. But we can't feed them a bunch of food to support that training because it's just going to feed into those underlying organisms, those bad organisms. Mm -hmm. And so that immune system, one, especially if you're doing hypertrophy training, it's going to cause an immune response.
0: Mm -hmm. So we're constantly using it. Yeah, in terms of like a hypertrophy response, we want, we need to have that damage. We need to have some inflammation to initiate kind of the repair processes and all the other processes that are involved in rebuilding more tissue, right? But eventually you get to a point where you kind of run out of resources to actually, like you said, recover from that stress you're putting on your body and that's where we kind of run into these vicious cycles with the more increases in adrenaline increases in cortisol um, more damage to the guts we can't eat as much so that's where like the whole the, the vicious cycle comes into play if we're doing too much so that we can't recover from
1: yeah hundred percent hundred percent and that and like so you make like these stem cells from your bone marrow require a lot of minerals. And if you're not really replenishing those minerals because you're excessively sweating and using your immune system all the time, this is where we see that immune suppression mm-hmm. is what occurs with training, and it's it's just high bouts of cortisol where you lose the capability of having an optimal immune system. Yeah. And, and and but then when you look at training, so let's look at the other spectrum. Exercise can stimulate autophagy or autophagy. However, many people pronounce it both ways. I call it autophagy. That's Program cell death so mm-hmm. it's the clearance of old dead tissues so i'll jump back a bit so remember i mentioned that neutrophil engulfs that pathogen these dying cells these apoptotic cells and it's more than just the immune system there's so many apoptotic cells around your body cell death they release granules and these granules are very toxic mm-hmm. and they can Think of it as the bomb going off. They can damage surrounding tissue is what they can do. And so this is where we see like joint pains, autoimmune diseases, et cetera, in specific regions because we're not clearing out these dead cells. So this is where we see a big trend of things like carnivore and keto because they can stimulate autophagy and that reduced insulin, because insulin produces cytokines, and, and depending on the diet, we're looking at pro-inflammatory cytokines with like omega-6s. So, and the, like, sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but- That's fine. This is why these diets work in re- in putting autoimmune disease into remission. But you didn't get an autoimmune disease because you weren't eating carnivore. It's just not feeding into it. And I kind of like my new recent analogy where, Going on carnivore and keto, because you have an underlying issue, is like blocking someone on Instagram. They're still there, they still exist, and if they really wanted to find you, they can. <laughs> it's very easy to find someone who's that when you've been blocked, right? Mm-hmm. And so we get false readings in labs, in, in stool maps and organic acid testing, because these organisms are just hiding. Because, the grizzly bear is there. And so this is where we see, when we see no exercise in this inflammation is, like I we said, we're not producing hormones. We're not, sorry, I just said that. We're just less production of hormones, less stimulation of autophagy, you know, the reduced insulin leading to less cytokines. So this is where we can see that effect in the immune system. Because once again, stress is how we grow. And I don't just need muscles, just every aspect in the body. But once again, it's only what you can adapt to. This is where under eating can lead to a lot of issues because you're causing this stressor, but you're not adapting to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. When you mentioned granules, so the thing that came to my mind was the, the. I, I don't hear this term a whole lot, but when I do, it's usually around kind of mast cells. Is, is that kind of like the main granule that's created is the mast cell within the immune system that's where we can have a lot of that collateral damage so
1: granules can be anything they can mm-hmm. they'll be from the neutrophils from like so your leukocytes monocytes basophils eosinophils mast cells mast cells so where we see like mast cell production a lot is because you have your erythrocytes and the epithelial lining so the stomach lining that's where a lot of mast cells are housed so when we get damage to the gut lining, we're releasing a lot of mast cells, which releases a lot of histamine.
0: And then
1: this histamine sets off the immune system. It sets off basophils, eosinophils, things like that. Mm -hmm. And this is where we can see these markers. And I remember, like, one day I remember you asked me a question. I think it was neutrophils in relation to
0: basophils or eosinophils or something. It was the uh, monocytes to lymphocytes ratio, something that I heard Dan Garner talking about. Um, I forget specifically what he was using that ratio for, Mm -hmm. but it essentially, uh, it was a matter of essentially telling you whether or not you had some sort of bacterial infection. If that lymphocyte to monocyte ratio was too skewed.
1: Yeah. So when we look at monocytes, once again, they are, we can't measure macrophages, Mm -hmm. Now, macrophages, the cleanup crew, they're the ones that come Mm -hmm. in and clean up that, because once again, that neutrophil is apoptotic, it's a beacon of inflammation, so the cleanup crew macrophages come in, but we can't measure that, so we measure monocytes. Does that always mean they're converting to macrophages? No, but when you look at lymphocytes, if you have low lymphocytes you're looking at chronic infection because you're constantly, and like a, a suppressed immune system, because you're constantly pumping out that adaptive side, those B cells and T cells. So then if we see high monocytes, and so this is, so this is why my response to that, what I was gonna say is you need the big picture because you need to see where neutrophils are at, eosinophils, basophils, et cetera. You need to see where all that white blood cells are at because that also indicates whether chronic infection or not, suppressed digestion, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You got to look at the big picture. So having just the monocyte to lymphocyte ratio could be, there's many variables, there's many answers to what that could be, but probably what he's referring to is low means chronic, high means acute. That's like one simple way to look at blood work. But remember, most people are becoming familiar with this. We got lab range and we got functional range. So we have to look yeah. at, okay, just because lymphocytes, monophylls, whatever, sorry, monocytes, they are in lab range, we still, as that person was mentioning, we look at the ratios because then that will tell us, oh, doctor says your blood works
0: fine. Well, actually I see this ratio as all. Yeah, because most people when you get their, their blood cell count, their immune system numbers back, most of the time it's in range if you look at everything. Like you said, once you actually start to look at things a little bit more um through like a microscope, at maybe different ratios, that's where you might you might see some things that actually aren't optimal, even though everything else is in range.
1: Yeah. Like, have you ever had a doctor check your, your immune panel, but not your ferritin? Absolutely. Exactly, right? And ferritin is a huge sign of bacterial infection. This is like, your these bacterial infections, these parasites, these viruses, they eat iron. So when you have mm-hmm. all these women who are anemic, <clears throat> yes, It's, you know, you have a menstrual cycle, but it's probably also due to low stomach acid. So you're not assimilating these nutrients. And then when you do start assimilating them, you're just feeding an underlying infection. So taking iron supplement, not a good idea. You're just
0: feeding the the issue. You're just feeding the infection. So it's almost like the the um, body's, it's like a, it's in a way, a response that the body does on purpose to maybe help get rid of some of those infections by, li- li- by limiting ferritin. Yeah, but what you'll see sometimes is you'll see a high ferritin. That's
1: acutely because the body went into panic mode. So ferritin, for those that don't know, is your iron savings account. It started storing iron mm-hmm. due to, due to an acute infection, right? And I was going to make a comment too. I was going to say like the reason blood work is so like misunderstood or, you know, not a great way to diagnose these organisms – that are plaguing your health are designed to survive just like you and I. Where it takes you and I hundreds of thousands of years to evolve, they do it in days. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest ways that they avoid evade, sorry, the immune system is biofilms. This sticky mm-hmm. plaque that the immune system can't see them. So if 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 you can't see this organism, you're not going to send out soldiers. You're not going to attack it cuz it's hiding. But within hiding it can still plague the body mm-hmm. and this is why when immune suppression occurs so now your grizzly bear has disappeared you ask anybody their history that has like ulcerative colitis or some crazy health issue that's going on well two years ago i got a divorce or two years ago i went on antibiotics or I lost my mother three years ago. And then you see all the history. It started there. Well, as a child, I kind of had some issues, but they weren't that bad. Well, you had that grizzly bear the whole time. Now, all of a sudden that grizzly bear has disappeared. That immunosuppression has occurred. Mm -hmm. These organisms are like, sweet. It's our time to come out now. And then these major health complications set in Mm -hmm. and you just ask somebody their history and you'll always see, Oh, two years ago, this happened three years ago. This happened or whatever. I've never been the same since. Because yep. these organisms colonized, evolved, etc., because of immunosuppression.
0: Gotcha. And is, do they um, evolve so much more quicker than we do because their lifespan is much shorter? Is that what's going on there potentially? Like, because I'm just thinking in terms of like when they do research on on mice, like their lifespan is a lot shorter, so mm-hmm. things happen a lot quicker. I think we just don't give bacteria enough credit how intelligent it is. <laughs> I, I
1: just think it's mm-hmm. one of those situations. We're designed for survival, right? Yeah. As they are, and I think yeah. as a smaller organism, there's less going on, so they have less to worry. They don't have to worry about a mortgage payment. They don't have to worry about <laughs> you know about their their boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, right? And I I don't yeah. like that's honestly I don't have an answer for that. Yeah. I just think bacteria is highly intelligent and it's just designed to evolve at a rapid rate,
0: is what Absolutely. I think. Okay. Let's go back to the kind of the exercise piece. So just to kind of clarify a little bit. So we talked about the situation where we're doing too much exercise and at the other side of the coin, when we're not doing any exercise, does that immune system or that grizzly bear, does it kind of go into hibernation hibernation mode? Is that kind of what you were referring to earlier? Or is that, is that correct?
1: You could, you could experience immunosuppression. I think with lack of exercise, Um, Once again, just comes overall lesser quality of health, which as a big system will affect the immune system negatively, whether you don't produce enough lymphocytes, whether you're not getting enough nutrients. You know, sometimes you look at people who don't exercise, they don't eat enough food because they're just, you know, they're not, I was going to say they're not hungry. And you see a lot of research saying that exercise doesn't promote hunger. You know, I'm no PhD student, I'm no researcher, but like, I kind of think it does to a degree now, whether that's glucose regulation or not, I don't know. But I think people who exercise just eat more. Like they just, or they Mm -hmm. should be anyways. And so then you have these nutrients supporting it. We get, you just get better production of things like stomach acid. It's just, like I said, we adapt to those stressors and we get better overall health, which Mm and as a broad spectrum is going to support that immune system.
0: Gotcha. In in your experience, do you find that like a lot of people when they think working out, they just think of working out as one thing. Um, but in in your opinion, is like are all workouts created equally in terms of their ability to uh, to improve immune function? Is there one type of exercise or one style of exercise that might be more beneficial for people in terms of, kind of for promoting kind of a more robust, healthy immune system?
1: So you, definitely, you are definitely fully aware of how I program and do things, and most people aren't, but there are various ways you could train that affect the body differently. Every single form of exercise does create an inflammatory response. It To what degree is heavily debatable based off of the stimulus that you are going for. Mm-hmm. Most people in their daily lives, both general population and bodybuilders, are training in a hypertrophy type state. That is going to be the most inflammatory. Now, when we talk genetics, like we like to think, okay, like this guy's really good at burning fat or building muscle. Like genetics play a role in every little aspect. So genetically, someone could have a really good immune system. So this is where we also see big bodybuilders and stuff like that. Like they can just have a really good immune system so they have that good homostasis and like that's kind of thing i think we should take the direction here of explaining like the pathways to help understand exercise and how it affects the immune system Mm -hmm. and so people uh so you have okay i'm trying to i always got to remember keep it simple keep it simple we got Mm -hmm. th1 and th17 immune pathway your t helper cells that is the side of the immune system that is catabolic. It is designed to break things down. So we're looking at cancer cells, we're looking at pathogens, we're looking at bad tissue, viruses, etc.
0: So then that's that's the Th1, Th17. Both those together is kind of the more catabolic yes. branch of the immune system. Yes. Yes. So that's the one. So this is why you read a lot about like elderberry and
1: echinacea and all these things that support the immune system. It's because they're pushing TH1. And we're going to talk about why that might not be safe for some people. We'll get there. So that that's your, I'm fighting viruses. I'm fighting cancer. I'm fighting bad things that have entered my body side. That's the catabolic side. Mm-hmm. So if you are someone who is TH1 or TH17 dominant, so you have like an autoimmune disease, especially organ specific, we can talk more about autoimmune after, but if you have sleep issues, anxiety, cortisol issues, you have trouble gaining muscle, you're probably TH1, TH17 dominant. You don't want to be doing things like cardio. You don't Mm -hmm. want to be doing cardio because that's just promoting more cortisol. You want to be anabolic. So mm-hmm. that is where hypertrophy training would probably, or just training period sorry, would probably be a good idea for you. You wanna stop our, all cardiovascular activity. You don't wanna do fasting. You don't wanna do keto. You wanna eat some carbohydrates, and you wanna do some training. Mm-hmm. To promote an that metabolic response.
0: Yes. To push you away from that TH1 response, mm-hmm. TH1 or TH17. So the people that are like more genetically prone to building muscle or having a stronger immune system, they're likely not, their kind of system doesn't favor favor the TH1 pathway, it favors the other anabolic side. They probably have good homostasis of
1: the immune system, because mm-hmm. if you favor one way or the other, it's, it's you're going to have issues. So we'll go into TH2 now. Mm-hmm. TH2, think of that as your allergen response. That's what's going to fight allergies, produce antibodies, etc., Mm -hmm. that is also anti-inflammatory. But TH dominant, you're going to have people that have asthma, allergies, seasonal allergies, whichever, and acid reflux. Those are the Mm -hmm. three most common causes or, or signs, sorry, of a TH2 dominance. Now, what can happen is you can see people from a young age have a bunch of viruses, et cetera, and maybe it didn't plague them to the point that they over so they rebounded so they're th1 dominant because they're fighting all these viruses so the body knows okay we need to be more anti-inflammatory so let's push th2 and it went too far so this is where you'll hear about delayed onset allergies i used to never get allergies now i get them all the time it's Mm because your immune system overcompensated
0: and pushed too much th2 Th2, trying to be
1: anti-inflammatory
0: trying to bring things back into that homeostasis, but it kind of overcorrected.
1: Yes, yes. And then we have T regulatory cells, which mm-hmm. is immunosuppression, <clears throat> excuse me, is immunosuppression, but rather more involved, like think of it as homeostasis. So if you're activating more, the immune system can, it can't be heightened in both. You can only be high in Th1 or Th2, Th17, et cetera. Mm-hmm. T regulatory cells, is a big topic, but we'll keep it simple and they can help promote immune homeostasis. This is why we see things like CBD and what it does for cancer. Because that individual with cancer was TH2 dominant, so they did CBD, brought it back a little more to homostasis, so now they have supporting TH1
0: to fight that cancer. Because the, the TH1 is more catabolic. It would break down those cancer cells that's correct yes promote more natural killer cells stuff like that and in terms of i'm just thinking now about like people talk about adaptogens and their ability to modulate the immune system ashwagandha uh Rishi, lion's mane all those adaptogens um do each of them kind of play a different role in their ability to modulate the th1 th2 systems and that's all we need to be careful about what we're taking because a lot of the a lot of experts claim for these all these things to be healthy but in some cases we take these things and they make things worse okay i love that you brought it up i was kind of like on my walk
1: this morning i was like i can't wait to talk about mushrooms uh so (laughs) ashwagandha like that adaptogen where we're gonna see immune promoting properties is because of its effect on the adrenals effects on your cortisol level on your stress management very simplistically put, it, the better your stress management is, the better your immune system is going to be. We'll just keep it very simple and say that. So, ashwagandha is relatively safe. It is more, it, it is nourishing, but it can be sedative. So, if you're somebody with adrenal insufficiency or adrenal fatigue, you don't want to be doing ashwagandha, mm-hmm. but you're going to have these symptoms that you think you need ashwagandha. When in reality, you need the opposite. You need more nourishing and stimulating. Your anxiety isn't coming from overproduction of cortisol. It's probably coming from adrenaline, who knows what else, right? That's a whole tangent anyways. But okay, find people that have something like MS, multiple cirrhosis. That is most commonly a TH1 autoimmune disease, TH1 dominant autoimmune disease. Because remember, it's catabolic. So you were constantly pushing out the catabolic side of the immune system, which eventually started attacking the myelin sheath, which mm-hmm. degrades that myelin sheath, exposes nerves, creates these motor pattern issues, et cetera. This is how we get multiple cirrhosis. Majority of these individuals will say that they tried my talkie, shy shiitake, turkey tail, reishi, lion's mane, et cetera, and they felt way worse. Mm-hmm. That's because those mushrooms push TH1. So if you have allergies, awesome. If you Mm -hmm. have cancer, awesome. Mm -hmm. But if you have an autoimmune disease, don't touch mushrooms. Maybe Mm -hmm. lupus though, because lupus is systemic. So this is where we get into the complications of the immune system. Sometimes systemic autoimmune diseases are TH2 dominant. Yeah. So you just have to find out the history.
0: Yeah, this is where things get really complicated for sure. And, that, and this is where I think people do, that do have health issues that aren't easily resolved with like your basics, um, some exercise, proper sleep, proper nutrition. That's where they eventually need to come to someone like you who can kind of address these complexities and then maybe come up with some more kind of specialized intervention to find a solution to the problem that they're facing.
1: Yeah, when it comes to your immune system… Like, obviously, what's happening today matters, but it's more about what happened years ago. Years ago. Mm -hmm. As a child, were you C-section or vaginal birth? And then what happened after that? You ask history when it comes to immune health. Because that's what's going to dictate what the immune system is doing today is the history of it. And that's how you can find out whether someone's, like, I thought I was TH2 dominant. So I took Th1-supporting nutrients and felt way worse because I had asthma.
0: Well, the asthma was coming from a fungal infection, Mm -hmm. right? So it's history. It's history. And then also you got to take into account too because evolutions happened over thousands and thousands of years. Maybe looking back at like generations, Mm -hmm. your parents, their parents, your ancestry, I imagine that also kind of plays into your genetics, your, your immune system and whatnot. Yeah hmm. Definitely for sure. So let's obviously we talked about a lot of different things here, but what are some in can you give us a couple like practical takeaways for someone who just wants to who wants to have an, a better immune function so that they're better able to kind of fight off these viruses, feel better overall from a uh, exercise perspective? Well, obviously, it's very individualized, but if you can give us some just practical takeaways, Yeah, so if you're like, so let's comment again, the TH1 dominance,
1: we're looking at like sleep issues, cortisol issues, anxiety, joint pain, uh, usually organ-specific autoimmune diseases like multiple sclerosis, Hashimoto's can go both ways, so that's once again the complexities of it. But if you're (laughs) one of those individuals, when it comes to exercise, you know, Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Not enough, right? It's that sweet spot. Mm -hmm. You know, I say don't exercise more than four days a week, maybe only three, depending on your history. Nourish those adrenals. Use things potentially like holy basil. You may be able to use ashwagandha. Look at adaptogen blends. I like initially starting out, I like the balance products I call. So mm-hmm. there's one called uh, Sereni Pro from Biotonic Naturals. Oh, I'm forgetting the company name. But that one, that's right. Yeah, that one's the blend of both nourishing and, and stimulating and sedative. So like, you know, ginseng can be stimulatory. So just make sure you're eating enough food is the biggest thing to support that immune system. But you have to look at, okay, training can push immune system a certain way. But if you have something underlying, I always recommend trying to address that first before you start pushing training or utilizing training as a tool for immune function. And so what I mean by that is when I explain to people, we have a pyramid of what needs to be addressed first. It is environment. So if you are living in a toxic environment, whether that's like pollution, mold in your home, whatever, or you're with a really bad partner and you just hate being at home, like that kind of toxicity that Mm -hmm. has to be taken care of first. Or if you have some sort of trauma that you've never dealt with, that comes before all. Mm -hmm. But if let's say that is okay, it's then fungus. It's then fungus. So can, Mm -hmm. so things like yeast and mold, so candida and aspergillus. Because whether you have a parasite, whether you have Crohn's or colitis, whether you have hypothyroid, whether you have estrogen dominance, it doesn't matter. That fungus is going to significantly impact your ability to deal with all those things. This is Mm -hmm. where we see people like myself, where I talked to Matthew a month later, why are you still on killers? Why are you still doing this? When are you going to be off of these things? (laughs) Because the fungus was never addressed. So you just keep relapsing. Parasites become more active. That's another thing too. Th2 is really responsible for fighting parasites. Mm-hmm. And that's a big issue with immune response. But so that's, it starts with fungus. So if you're somebody who has, and I know we don't want to make this about gut health, but I'll just say if you have sugar cravings, if you have joint pain, if you have autoimmune diseases, if you have a white film on your tongue, undigested food, bloating and gas, etc. You should really consider trying to figure out if you have a fungal overgrowth. If you live in a water damaged building, if you get sick all the time, right? That should be the priority and then we can implement training. But I do believe that yes, there should be some training. There should be some form of training. You might just have to take a break for a week or two, maybe a month. But always make sure that you are training to some degree because it will Promote that adaptability, that
0: resilience. It will improve that immune. Well, that makes that makes sense, and like it comes back to what you said earlier on about just working within your means of recovery. Mm-hmm. Because if you're doing too much, you're not going to be able to recover from it, and likely you'll get some sort of negative results. Okay. And if you're not doing enough, same thing can happen. It's kind of like that inverted U in terms of the bell curve, exactly. Yeah.
1: So, well, I'm training everything. So mm-hmm. stress is stress. So whether it's training, whether it's relationship, whether it's a gut infection, stress is a nutrient depleting response. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna lose these nutrients, like your fat soluble vitamins, A, K, D, E, all these things that are gonna promote immune health, gut lining integrity, zinc, we're gonna lose a lot of zinc, selenium, we're gonna lose B vitamins, super important for immune health. So this is where it's important that you manage your stress. We're going to lose, we're going to get an HCL reduction, stomach acid reduction. Yep. So not only are we losing, not only are we depleting nutrients within the body, but now we're not absorbing or assimilating them from outside of the body when we're eating our food or taking our supplements. And so this is why number one thing is to manage your stress. Yes, for some people, training is a stress manager. they their escape. Mm-hmm. But just don't make it like six, seven days a week like I see some people do and, and everything,
0: right? So. Yep. 100%. Yeah. Especially if, if you have other, stressors in your life if if maybe that's all you do and you don't have a job you don't have a family you don't have any outside traumas that you still need to deal with any fungus issues then maybe yeah you can get away with six or seven days yeah. per week but that's no one that i know <laughs> yeah yeah we're in a world where it's
1: it's highly unlikely
0: yeah yeah so let's 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 transition now over to more kind of like the interaction between nutrition in the immune system. So what are some why is it that like when some people eat certain foods that are healthy, they have kind of a a, a negative uh, immune response to those foods. And whereas other people they eat them and they're completely fine, no issues at all.
1: Yeah, so in regards to food causing an immune response, we look at TH2 dominance because we end up developing food sensitivities that way, food allergies, because that TH2 side is an allergy response. I did make a post on that. I said, do you really have leaky gut or are you just THU dominant? Um, mm-hmm. But usually it's both <laughs> and but we also have like histamines and all that kind of stuff Where a lot of okay, so this is where I always kind of mentioned like sometimes elimination diets don't work because you might not have an inflammatory response for like four or five days um, From eating a food so like you'd have to eliminate food for like quite a while kind of idea but when we are in a stressed out state, once again, let's just keep it with stress is stress, exercise, whatever, you are going to lose digestive capacity. And what I mean by that is you're going to produce less stomach acid, less pancreatic enzymes, and less proteolic enzymes, less pepsin, all these things for digesting and assimilating your food. Mm-hmm. So guess who has to pick up the slack? Your immune system. Your immune system will start to break down food. So you will get an inflammatory response every time because you don't have enough digestive capacity to digest food. And so someone that you and I know, I won't mention names, but we had a conversation a couple of days ago. And she's like, why is my white blood cell count low? Mm
0: -hmm. And I'm
1: like, chronic infection and probably trying to digest your food. Mm Mm-hmm because it has to pick up the slack. The immune system now has to break these things down. So this is where we're also in fear of an autoimmune disease. Simplest, simplest way I can explain it is that chicken, the protein structure can mimic your thyroid. Mm-hmm. It can mimic your spleen. It can mimic your muscles, whatever. So then you're constantly breaking down chicken with your immune system. All of a sudden it goes, wait a minute, that adaptive response takes over because you've been eating chicken for more than three days straight. So that's when the adaptive side takes over, mm-hmm. it starts recognizing another tissue in the body. This, this looks like what I'm supposed to be breaking down. And then those,
0: that, those lymphocytes start going after it. Mm-hmm. And so you and can get that. Obviously, it's not the chicken, but it would be the, the amino acids within the chicken. The protein, you know, that's yeah. the protein that are kind of yeah. consistent across other tissues in the body. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the, the, the instance where the person had the, the low white blood cells, would there be some way that you can kind of support the creation of more white blood cells kind of to offset that again, obviously you want to treat the root Mm -hmm. of the issue, but in, in that case where maybe things are a little bit lower, they're like, are there certain foods that we can actually eat that would be kind of more, more promoting in terms of boosting our white blood cell count so that we have just more resources to pull from.
1: Yeah. So like in a let's just use that situation as an example. Um, and then we'll kind of go into like a broad. So if we are looking at poor digestive capacity, that is where let's look at support in the digestion, because then we'll take we'll take a load off the immune system. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have to work so hard. So we can look at things like pancreatic enzymes and like HCl. Now, as you know, Matthew, be careful with HCl if you don't if you have ulcers or high levels of H. pylori or gastritis, you don't want to take it. Um, if you take it and you get heartburn or something, you're fine, just stop it. But I always start with supporting the digestion is a big place. And then we look at like our fat soluble vitamins is a really big one. So your vitamin A, your vitamin K, your vitamin D and your vitamin Mm E. really, this is where multivitamins can actually be super beneficial. Like they can be super, super beneficial because they'll contain all these nutrients that you need to help promote this white blood cell production. Um, But also things like, like zinc is a really big one. And when we look at elderly individuals, these elderly individuals are seeing a reduction in their thymus, which is producing these T helper cells mm-hmm. for the immune system because of zinc deficiency. Well, why is there zinc deficiency? Sure, probably just not enough in the diet or not supplementing, but it's that reduction of that digestive capacity as we age. Even if you're super healthy, it's just just keeps going down. So we're seeing malabsorption of these nutrients that support this immune function and this building of the immune cells. That's where like glutamine comes in. Mm -hmm. Glutamine can help promote lymphocyte production. So this is where, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but I'll tell people to hammer like zinc and glutamine if they feel a cold coming on and they usually can kick it because you're feeling, you're sorry, you're feeling the immune cells. But what you have to be careful of is Glutamine, can, because you'll hear people will make a comment that glutamine made me feel worse. Two things. It can produce glutamate, but it also helps reduce ammonia being created by bacteria. But then you have to flush that ammonia. So then you can get a detox effect. So you have to be careful with glutamine sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, too, like an autoimmune disease, if you're fueling the lymphocytes, you could be fueling the autoimmune disease. So you, you have to be careful with that kind of stuff. But a yeah. multivitamin goes a long way.
0: Because most like the biggest, just to play devil's advocate, like a lot of people say that multivitamins are useless. Yes, they have a large array of vitamins and minerals within the multi, but usually the doses of each are so low that they don't actually have any significant impact. Is that just because the multivitamin is, is crap or what's your kind of take on that? Uh, yeah, that's because people go to Walmart and buy a multivitamin.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> there is an actual research paper. I don't. I'd have you'd have to look for it. I'd have to look for it. I do recall reading it one time. Maybe I shouldn't be talking about it because I can't remember the link. But it was like a twenty-year study of that Centrum one-a-day vitamin. It actually decreased lifespan. That's because <laughs> of toxins and fillers and. Unmethylated nutrients, so methylation, huge topic, we won't discuss it, but let's just keep it simple and say it makes B vitamins work, for example. So you need like methylcobaline stuff like that. The, they have the unmethylated forms. You can get B vitamins from Kodak film, you get it from plastic. So there's a reason this multivitamin is on sale for $12.99 at Walmart because it's just garbage nutrients. So this is why quality and third-party testers are so important, so important. But I've also made posts on this as well. Your multivitamin isn't useless. You just weren't producing enough stomach acid and you weren't methylating properly. So you didn't properly absorb and assimilate these nutrients and turn on the enzymes and cofactors required for these things to actually work because you were missing several pieces of the puzzle. -hmm. Right, it's like it's like making an assumption out of context. You read the headline, and that's and now all of a sudden you're biased, right? So you get a quality multivitamin, and you Mm -hmm. support digestion. You're going to see benefits from a multivitamin, and the world's brightest minds in terms of health will always recommend a multivitamin.
0: Yeah. Okay. So Nutridyne, Metagenics, Pure Encapsulations, those brands. In terms of so zinc, obviously, like everyone promotes zinc supplementation for the most part. But then, like you run into issues where people say you take too much zinc, then you run into copper deficiencies and copper copper, um, malabsorption. The zinc and copper competing. Um, Kind of, what's your take on on that? Like, let's let's say that you are taking zinc. Like, do you have to take a copper copper supplement as well? Or so it depends on how much zinc you're taking and how
1: much copper is in your diet, because obviously copper toxicity is much more serious easily achieved than zinc toxicity but that is a huge thing yes that's we talk about the recent world events that happened everybody zinc 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 okay you're taking zinc it's going to inhibit the absorption of copper in high doses so that's why you don't want to take zinc with higher copper meals like we'll say seafood shellfish whatever or a copper supplement that reduction in copper is going to cause you to not be able to convert dopamine to norepinephrine. So now you're going to be tired and have breathing issues because mm-hmm. you don't have enough copper, and we're not producing enough adrenaline. And then now this dopamine builds up in the nerve cell, becomes toxic, causes ADD, ADHD symptoms, etc. I go on a whole tangent,
0: okay? You can't you can't sleep probably
1: because the high dopamine yeah. dopamine on it's called as toxicity. Then you're depleting the hell out of glutathione. So now you got a glutathione deficiency, you're not detoxed. Like I could go on and on and on. So if you're taking zinc, you want to take copper. Now don't take supplements. I really love a company called Advanced Orthomolecular Research here in Calgary. They make a zinc and copper supplement together. Why? Why? They're just going to fight for absorption, take them separate. So I personally take copper at the beginning of the day and zinc in the evening mm-hmm. is what I do. And then obviously too, like I said, don't take, if you want copper from your food, don't take high zinc supplements. Might be super nuanced, might be BS. That's what the literature shows. We know that they fight for absorption and we know everybody's all about zinc. Oh, zinc testosterone and and this and that, and immune function and it builds thymus and et cetera. But you have to be ingesting enough copper then whether it's gonna be coming from your diet. As for a dosage, I supplement two milligrams if I remember correctly. And I can definitely tell if I don't when I take too much zinc. So for example, if you feel something coming on, my recommendation is high doses of zinc picolinate and glutamine. I can feel the lesser, like I'll say dopamine issues, energy issues afterwards until I start taking copper again because of the copper depletion or the lack absorption. Interesting.
0: Yeah. What would you say is like a, a reasonable dose for males in terms of zinc and a kind of a reasonable dose. Of zinc for females? I usually play it pretty safe and I say 50 to 75
1: milligrams and then a lot of people rebuttal because then they'll read like the research or RDA or whatever they may have read the thing is is that's 50 you know let's say a supplement says 50 milligrams of zinc good luck getting that 50 milligrams like good luck there's going to be some sort of digestive situation that occurs lack of stomach acid whatever you're probably not going to get all 50 milligrams so I say anywhere from 50 to 75. Super active, I would say the higher range, 75. Okay. Okay.
0: And that's for both males and females.
1: Yeah, I just I usually keep it. Females are gonna get lesser absorption. Usually they're under more stress than males are. And so mm-hmm. I usually just relatively say 50 milligrams. What I do is I usually use products for like that contains zinc and then that I just rely on there enough. And as long as they're eating a well-balanced diet, that should be more than enough zinc.
0: Mm -hmm. And then in terms of copper, if someone's eating fish every day, is that usually hit that two milligram mark in your opinion?
1: Yeah, I gotta, I gotta remember correctly. I think it's more shellfish Mm -hmm. that is higher in copper. So like if you're eating cod sand and all that kind of stuff, like if you do a quick Google search, it'll tell you the copper levels. So I, I personally, believe in supplementing copper okay i personally believe in supplementing copper one milligram do i have everyone i don't have any client on it that's my own personal thing you don't have anyone on it or you do have them i all? don't have any client on it because okay i'm more focused on other situations rather than trying to promote because i won't get into it because <laughs> i don't put anybody on copper right now when we get through overgrowth and everything i may depending on are they focused they have ADD, hdd type symptoms, stuff like that. But if you should get it. Be if you're eating a well balanced diet with some fish in it, you should be getting enough copper. Just take your zinc away from your fish meal.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Yeah. So in, in terms of nutrition, what are some some big misconceptions about nutrition in relative to the immune system? Hmm. Is anything well, that come to mind? I think we talked
1: about mushrooms i think that's yeah. a really big one not that it's a misconception or anything you just have to be careful mm-hmm. because you have to realize if you're th1 or th2 dominant
0: and i think that could be as, as simple as taking these things taking just one type of mushroom seeing how your body responds like am i actually feeling better yeah if you're not feeling better stop Stop taking it, right?
1: Yeah, and, and, and I can say this, like I don't want to make myself look bad, but there's many times where you research something and this is, oh my God, this is a miracle supplement or a miracle nutrient. You take it and you feel like crap, but you're so biased <laughs> that you continue to take it. Like the discussion we had before we started recording, right? And mm-hmm. so that comes to, that's like where diet lifestyles come in, like keto. Everybody feels amazing when they do keto, but then all mm-hmm. of a sudden prolonged keto causes thyroid issues, it could, you know, liver issues, whatever it may be, poor DNA replication, but they're so biased to how well that keto made them feel in the beginning Mm -hmm. that they don't think it's keto. So quercetin, quercetin, however you want to say it, Mm -hmm. that's another big one because that can push TH2. So interestingly enough, it helps with histamine clearance, but it pushes TH2. So that's a good example there is, yeah, try it. If you feel better or worse, there's your answer. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense too.
1: Yeah. And then the zinc, the zinc is a big one, especially like with, with world events that just occurred, zinc is a big one. Like the copper depletion and these people, And it could take months of you doing zinc to realize something. And that's another thing too. You don't think about that because it was a gradual climb or decline, whatever. So you're not going to stop to go think if it was zinc because when you first took zinc, you were fine. Yep. So this is where a lot of like, there's so many, there's so much misconstrued information or shall I say like denial, Well, it can't be the zinc. I was fine when I started taking the zinc. Well, it could have been months Mm -hmm. before you actually got a copper deficiency that led to a norepinephrine, epinephrine issue. And now you have poor memory, mood issues. Your cardiovascular health isn't that great. You're tired all the time. It's because you took too much zinc, Mm -hmm. but zinc is supposed to be this end all be all amazing nutrients. I mean, it is. Yeah. context matters.
0: Yeah. You, you talk with this a lot, like a lot of things. We've already discussed this briefly over the podcast, but like, even if something is deemed to be healthy, doesn't mean in your individual context, that it is something that your body needs or will improve your health. So just be aware of that when you're, yeah when you're reading things, mm-hmm. when you're taking different supplements. And then also I, uh, I've done this before, you've done this before. We kind of, we do, we make so many changes all at once, we have no idea what's causing what. Yeah. Taking, adding in 10 different supplements at once or changing our diet. six different types of foods yeah and we have no idea what's what's the
1: cause yeah that's a big one and yeah you're right I'm, i was i've been guilty of that with myself with clients and it's usually based off what we research it's usually based off what we learn so we learn mm-hmm. that this nutrients give you this this and this and this so why not bring them all in <laughs> right you don't mm-hmm. know what's doing what you don't know if something is counteracting right especially when we talk about the immune system mm-hmm. there there have been people where all i've done is pull TH1-supporting nutrients without even using TH2-supporting nutrients, and they just feel way better mm-hmm. just from pulling their supplements because that catabolic response has been lessened. Now they have better adrenal function. They're getting better sleep. There's less mm-hmm. pain. They're mm-hmm. reaching homeostasis. They're getting an anti-inflammatory
0: response. Mm-hmm. So instead of adding this, like, what can we take out yes. to, maybe, to, to maybe improve the situation?
1: Yeah. And that's where, as a, as a practitioner, coach, whatever, that's where I'm really going now is show me what you've been doing and I'm probably going to stop a lot of it. If you haven't been doing anything, okay, well, now we got a clean slate, but a lot of people are taking nutrients that they think is helping them because the internet said so. In reality, it's making them worse at this moment in time. doesn't mean mm-hmm. that nutrient's bad. It's just not
0: right for you right now. Mm -hmm. So could you say the same thing maybe about in terms of foods like like wheat, grains, dairy, because a lot of people do have negative responses to them. But it's not doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be bad foods for them forever. Um, Maybe when they address some of the issues that they're having, that these kind of more problematic foods based on what the, the health community says could be actually something positive for them later on kind of in their health and fitness journey yeah 100 percent. and like a lot of the times like like when you bring up
1: like wheat and grains and stuff one we are looking at sometimes high iron feeding an infection like we discussed but it's usually mycotoxins mm-hmm. we see high levels of mycotoxins and for those that don't know mycotoxins are chemicals that are produced by mold that can end up in your food or the mold in your home doesn't matter or the mold colonized in your gut that cause a lot of issues, a lot of immune suppression, a lot of it, a lot of or immune activation due to a cell danger response. They can mm-hmm. kill the cells, the mitochondria within the liver and the kidneys, so they stay in your body. They can mess up your bioflow, so they win. They're winning the battle, you don't get out, and they cause all these neurological issues. You look at autism, insanely correlated with mold, colonization mm-hmm. within the gut, or mycotoxins. And so when we look at these foods, dairy grains etc that you'd mentioned they tend to be higher in mycotoxins especially in like canada and north america because we're a lot more lenient on how many mycotoxins we let in and the processing and whatnot so that's why you hear people go to italy that say they have a lact uh what is it lactose intolerance which is not really a thing as much as people believe but it's because italy has better processing and stricter rules and so there's less mycotoxins in these things, not to mention you're on vacation having a great time of your life. So you're managing your stress and you feel good, so you got a decent, a good homostasis immune response, right? So yeah, but these mm-hmm. foods, yes, contain nutrients that are very beneficial for you. Mm-hmm. They just might not be right for you right now until you sort out that underlying why is this food even causing a problem? Like yeah, super yep. highly processed. We all know it's not rocket science, right? But yep. you know, there's, I don't think we need to demonize these foods.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about, we haven't discussed, I haven't heard many people talk about vitamin C. Is there any instances where taking too much vitamin C can be problematic in terms of shifting the immune response to either the TH1 or TH2 pathway or?
1: So vitamin C is going to be more modulatory, uh, antioxidant mm-hmm. production. It can cause uh, higher oxalate load. And so when you think of oxalates, you know, you think of spinach and you think how Dave Asprey, the devil is spinach and everything, the devil's less or whatever. Yeah. Oxalates, they can form crystals in your joints and in your muscles and lead to pain. So when you look at like rheumatoid arthritis, we can link that with oxalates. They also cause like a lot of neurological issues. So people will heavily notice brain fog. And so vitamin C can actually increase oxalate production. Now, once again, we go back to the pyramid, fungus, so candida will indirectly create oxalates Hence, Mm -hmm. that's where your autoimmune disease, your rheumatoid arthritis is coming from and mold will directly create oxalates. So vitamin C in some individuals can make them feel worse because of the oxalate load and then calcium catches a bad rep. Oh, calcium causes kidney stones. No, it doesn't. What happens is calcium is a really good binder for oxalates. You were unable to get them out. You were unable to filter them properly, which led to kidney stones. So this is why calcium citrate, they recommend for reducing oxalate load because calcium, the citrate is poorly absorbed. So the calcium will bind to the oxalate better excreted through the GI tract and through the urine so you can decrease the oxalate load that way so that's where vitamin c could come in is it can make oxalate situations worse but it's very mm-hmm. independent because i've had individuals where we've done an organic acid test and their oxalate load is high and they're fine with vitamin c and so we, like, yeah. we just keep it in because it does support the immune function helps don't produce don't immune cells etc
0: Gotcha. Okay. Let's talk about a little bit, kind of before we wrap things up, we've talked about a little bit over this podcast, autoimmunity. Um, What's going on there? Like obviously we have kind of like a overzealous immune system, grizzly bear, whatever you want to call it, that's attacking tissues that we don't want it to attack. Can you kind of go into a little bit more specifically about that? Okay. So when we
1: look at the very simplistic... Nature of it is, yes, our immune system is attacking our own tissues. And then we ask you, why is it attacking our own tissues? One of the biggest, or sorry, I shouldn't say one of the biggest, but a big thing that people understand, especially when we look at things like ulcerative colitis, is there's a pathogen in that region. So in that section of the colon, the large intestine, whatever you've been diagnosed with, and that pathogen, remember that neutrophil has got to come and get that. And so then that neutrophil engulfs it, as we discussed, releasing these granules, these toxic things, damaging the surrounding tissue, Mm -hmm. which then further creates more of an inflammatory response. So do you have an autoimmune disease or do you have Clostridia that was caused by fungus? Mm -hmm. So you go to a GI specialist and you get put on immunosuppressant. 98% Ninety-eight percent of the time, these people don't get better until they do a hydrocortisone shot because then it supports the immune system. Mm-hmm. But it's because you're taking away the very thing that means that is required to manage, eradicate whatever this organism that is causing the immune system to go after this
0: region. Mm-hmm. So
1: that's one big autoimmune thing.
0: Can- so it's not actually. It's not actually an autoimmune thing, it's just the immune system doing what the immune system does, In that leading case, to yes. symptoms. In that case, yes. Mm-hmm. So
1: that's really important to understand because a lot of times people will be pegged. So this is why I say ulcerative colitis, because that's the biggest one. You'll get diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, so they'll give you an immunosuppressant, a pressent, mesmoline, probably, whatever, Inflammabex or whatever it's called, and, you can no longer fight this clostridium. So these people are still having excessive blood in the stool, bloating, whatever, on all these immunosuppressants. And you're opening the door for cancer and everything. It's not an immune issue. You're not attacking that tissue, per se. You're probably attacking the pathogen in that region. And I can say that from experience because I've helped people in those situations. We've removed the immunosuppressant and they've gotten better. I don't know if you saw my recent story there with that guy. But in one week, it was a night and day difference from just removing the Mm immunosuppressants, And so that's a big one. But then we do look at, yes, going back to the digestive situation, Mm -hmm. proteins, the resemblance. Molecular makeup and chicken could mimic thyroid, very simplistically put. And then the immune system is recognizing that. What does that mean, though? That's a TH1 response. We have a very heightened TH1 response. What do we do? Push TH2. homeostasis. Yeah. push TH2 and use fat-soluble vitamins. Now remember, don't push TH2 for too long because you can go the other way, <laughs> right? But so that's how yeah. you'll see an improvement in autoimmune diseases. But okay, uh, I'd push TH2, I did the fat-soluble vitamins, my, immu- my autoimmunity symptoms didn't go away, it's because Candida's there. Because Candida is constantly producing TH17, your catabolic side. It's then producing interleukin-6, which is producing cortisol, there's your anxiety, there's your autoimmune this is why i can't get better no matter what i do because you're not addressing the candida which is also killing the lymphocytes and mm-hmm. so then you're getting sick all the time
0: right yeah so so that's i kind of got off track there but <laughs> no, no no what you what you're saying is it's great to just kind of to pro- provide these details that people tend to miss and, and overlook so um like we kind of talked about at the start of the podcast like these things are very complex and if you are suffering from severe issues that you can't just find can't find resolve for after extended periods of time that's where you need to kind of look you need to dig deeper into these things and yeah i find with my my clients people i work with like it seems like autoimmune conditions are becoming more and more prevalent in modern times and i don't know the exact reason for why that is i think it's largely because of just environmental factors, just yep. additional stressors on the body, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to see, right? It's, it's both,
1: I would say, the digestive capacity issue and the fungal overgrowth, especially in females, especially those who have done birth control. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing, and then not to mention, like, every immune cell has an estrogen receptor, hence why women are 80% more likely to get an autoimmune disease because estrogen levels are higher yeah they tend to be higher in these women whether it's because they're not detoxing it properly or they just have you know mimickers whatever reason why they're just producing a lot of estrogen because like food too like you eat a lot of food it can produce estrogen too you like more dietary fats to produce pregnenolone to produce Mm. testosterone whatever it can produce more estrogen
0: in terms of athletes using performance enhancing drugs like testosterone um in the case where their their estrogen values will naturally increase, mm-hmm. would you want to bring estrogen back down to within natural ranges? Or is it just like that ratio of testosterone to estrogen? Is there just need to be some sort of balance between the two to manage that TH1 to TH2?
1: Yeah. So here's the context in regards to that. I would personally say as a broad diagnosis to bring it back down to natural levels and the reason being is because estrogen can increase hit like it it can decrease histamine clearance so then we get a more immune response that way Mm -hmm. but the thing is as a bodybuilder you want to grow right if you're running those those performance enhancers like you want to grow you need that estrogen to grow so Mm -hmm. you don't want to tank that and then like libido sexual function like you need that estrogen and yeah. so it's, it's context, so this is why you get worrisome about people using, you know, uh, aromatized inhibitors or estrogen blockers and whatnot. You need that estrogen. But yes, the, the, out of, let's say, a natural level, you can get immune responses, you can get poor detox, all sorts of issues there. Um, candida itself, too, will promote estrogen. But then you look at testosterone. Testosterone tends to promote TH17. So a catabolic response, not in everybody, but it can. And then you
0: have when we look at Just hold up one second, because like most people would they would view testosterone as being more anabolic in nature. Yes. So And can you kind of speak more on that specifically, how the testosterone would be more catabolic in nature? Is that not referring to maybe muscle tissue, but to other things in the body? Is that what you're...
1: Yes. Yeah, it could definitely push different pathways. It could definitely affect different tissues. You know, this is where we see some bodybuilders have these, you know, obviously, like, yes, you're filtering performance enhancers, but like we see liver issues and kidneys issues because it can push that TH17, which attacks those organs. You know, you look at Chris Bumstead, the autoimmune disease of his kidneys and stuff like that very well could have been from testosterone usage, right?
0: Because we're, we're going into a realm that's not natural. And there's not a whole lot of necessary literature around mm-hmm. kind of super physiological doses of performance enhancing drugs. Yes.
1: Yeah. And that's the, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. There's not a lot of research done on bodybuilders. There's not a lot of research mm-hmm. in regards to like immune health or digestive health or whatever. There's not a lot of research that's done on them. Mm-hmm. So we can't, there's not a lot of literature that we could go off of to say, hey, this does this, this does that. Yeah. Because
0: I, when I read things on like Reddit, it always talks about how steroids are typically immunosuppressant in nature. And I imagine they're referring to more kind of like the heavy hitters like prednisone um yeah. and i don't know if that same concept would apply to the anabolic steroids testosterone nandrolone cool. anavar yeah so where i think those would play a role is one obviously affecting the
1: gut you got to filter everything through the gut and if you got some issues it's just going to make them worse but also we look at stress management mm-hmm. testosterone will flush dopamine Quicker. And the less so a lot of people are familiar with roid rage. Mm-hmm. That is low dopamine. That mm-hmm. rage was just that individual trying to build dopamine because that testosterone and their tanked estrogen from taking aromatized inhibitors or whatever causing, is causing dopamine imbalance in the brain, leading to rage fits. Mm -hmm. The rage fit is a consequence of trying to produce more dopamine. That is you trying to produce more dopamine. The consequence is you punching a wall. (laughs) So So it's like it's a behavioral change. Yes. So that behavior, it's the same with bipolar, right? Oh, you're so you're mad one minute and then you're happy the next because getting angry built that dopamine. And dopamine is your healthy stress response. That's why after your roid rage or your bipolar episode or whatever you want to term it as, Mm -hmm. you're happy because you got that hormone, you got that dopamine. But when you don't have that, you're responding more with cortisol, which then leads to the issues we discussed in the beginning, gut lining issues, immune suppression, et cetera. So that's where anabolic steroids could eventually lead, I think one mechanism, to immunosuppressant, it. it's just you're stressed out more. Your whole body is stressed, you're emotionally stressed, you're physically stressed, it's just mm-hmm. stress. Yeah, and you're just depleting your resources like you said. Yeah, especially your stem cells, your satellite cells that are required for immune function. And so that's that's where, so I think that's a few mechanisms that occurs with the anabolic usage. Mm-hmm. Not to mention it's a foreign substance you are putting in your body. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's, most people aren't getting from an actual accredited lab, yeah. pharmaceutical company. They're getting yeah. it from some underground lab. You have no idea what conditions it's being made in and whatnot. So, mm-hmm, for sure. And then you throw in the the aspect of polypharmacy. Usually, bodybuilders are using five plus things at once. You don't. No one actually knows how that's affecting the entire body as a whole. Yeah, that's exactly it too. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Too many variables. You just can't (laughs) figure out too many variables. Yeah, and I think, as you know, we've talked about this before. Is like some of the best bodybuilders are the ones that have the best genetics for health. They can, they they can they can clear these things. They have they have stronger livers. They have better kidneys. They have better hearts that have just allowed. They are. Yeah, think of Ronnie
1: Coleman. They're so chill. They're so down to earth. Like Phil Heath might be the exception, but (laughs) look at Kai Green. Look at Ronnie Coleman. um, Brain fart. Come on. Um, One of the most famous bodybuilders, Jay Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler. There's another guy. Old guy. I'm having a total brain fart. Everybody loves him. His training protocols. Oh, Dorian. Dorian Yates. There you go. Yeah, Dorian Yates. They're super chill people. Mm-hmm. Like super chill people. So that plays a big role. I just, I kind of just want to say this. Um, so when we look at genetics, right, we, we think, okay, the susceptibility to build muscle is a genetic gift, right? Mm-hmm. If we look back to prehistoric times, I call it Uga Booga times, it was actually a defect because the more muscle you had you were probably going to be the first to die in a famine or running from a saber-toothed tiger or whatever. And then our genetic defects now, so let's say like sleep issues, was actually a genetic gift back then because you would be the first one to wake up at the snap of a twig and alert the tribe to say, hey, there's danger <laughs> around. But so they are—they flopped. So what are gifts now were potentially defects then and what are defects then or you know, gifts now kind of idea, right? So mm-hmm. it's like reverse. It's kind of funny. I just want to say that.
0: <laughs> and then I imagine maybe... Over the next thousands and thousand years, or however long humans exist, maybe some of those things will shift again. Yeah, as we yeah. as we evolve.
1: Yeah, exactly. So. As long as AI doesn't take over.
0: <laughs> well, it's, I think it's already kind of is. <laughs> yeah. But it's already yeah. Started. yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's yeah. crazy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about a lot of interesting things today in terms of immunity. Obviously, it's very complicated, and I imagine a lot of people got lost here, but. <laughs> I think this is a good podcast to have because it really opens the eyes to what is out there in terms of information, knowledge, complexity. And I think for some people listening, that's going to kind of help fire that curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I think in our field, that curiosity is what really kind of helps drive things forward Mm -hmm. in terms of of learning um, increasing the efficiency of the interventions we're applying to our clients so that's why I really appreciate you Curtis you're always trying to to learn always always do better you acknowledge when maybe you were wrong but it's it's always just everyone's on a different journey in terms of their knowledge and their application and whatnot so thank you very much for your time today and uh just explaining that things to us that probably a lot of us haven't heard about or considered before. Yeah.
1: I just want to say two things. One, you mentioned curiosity. Don't listen to this podcast and go, oh, it went over my head, right? If you want to be better and you want to learn more, take the time, reach out to Matthew, reach out to myself, whatever, learn, right? I'm sorry, I had to be blunt. Don't be lazy. Whenever I hear, oh, it went over my head, that means lazy. I don't expect a general population person to not like, don't yeah go over your head. That's fine. But if you're a coach, mm-hmm. practitioner, whatever, make sure that curiosity is piqued and try to learn. Second, Pro Resolve mediators. Okay, mm-hmm. that that is one thing that I can recommend for should be able to recommend for nearly everyone is Pro Resolve mediators. So Metagenics makes one called SPM Active. Thorne has one. Life Extensions has one, and Nutradyne has one, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. These come in, remember I was saying the initiation resolve, they will produce more macrophages. So they'll come in and they'll help clear, that's your cleanup crew. So that's mm-hmm. a very, if you have an autoimmune disease or you're really struggling with chronic inflammation,
0: look up pro-resolve
1: mediators.
0: They'll go a long okay. way. So yeah. for that's kind of like one of your go-to supplements for people with kind of more immune-based yes. issues. Yes, yeah. It definitely helps with the resolve. If people are struggling with their own health issues and they're just having troubles finding a resolution, um, can you give us a little bit more information about where they could maybe contact you if they want to kind of hire you for help or for coaching?
1: Yeah, for sure. So my website is lifestyleempowerment.ca. And then I've been I've been experimenting with Instagram names because they say you have to have something in your name that says what you do but you also don't want it to be the thousand characters long. So <laughs> <laughs> which my last one was, so I'm trying this one out. It's funct. So F U N C T dot M E D dot Curtis. So funct.med.curtis. dot med dot Curtis. So, dot med dot Curtis. <laughs> so we'll see how this one does in terms of actual attraction and, and
0: engagement. But, but yeah, that's, that's pretty, cool. pretty self-explanatory. And I hope like- so relatively short. So I think it yeah. should do well. I hope that one works.
1: <laughs> so <this is> my <laughs> last one, what was it? Functional health coach Curtis. <laughs> so it was like this long or whatever. So <laughs> but yeah, like that's usually you reach out to me on Instagram is usually where um, you know, I can tend to respond the most sometimes. Or like I said, my website at lifestyleempowerment.ca um is the best mm-hmm. way to reach me. And so
0: And also, I I saw this on your website, you do mentoring for coaches as well, as well, that are kind of interested in learning more about these things that we discussed.
1: Yes, that is correct. Yeah. And I, I quite enjoy mentoring. I love mentoring.
0: I love mentoring. Yeah. So yeah, Curtis like, Curtis is a great, uh, great teacher for sure. And um, if you work with him, he'll, he'll definitely help you if you're willing to put in the work. So I appreciate that. And I've
1: definitely improved over the years in regards to dumbing things down.
0: And sometimes
1: you get excited, but it's, it's you know, <laughs> understanding where people are coming from and, and, you know, that's why I try to work on analogies, you know, whether it's gut use the anthill analogy, immune systems, the grizzly bear, getting blocked on Instagram, whatever. <laughs> so try
0: to things th- things that people can relate to, exactly. block right, <laughs> <relate> to get <getting laughs>
1: blocked on Instagram. Everybody can relate to getting blocked on Instagram. Yeah. So well, I, Hey, I appreciate the time, Matthew. This is fun. This is exciting. Yeah. It's been a while since I've done a podcast. So thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no worries. And hopefully we can get you on again another time. Yeah, man. Maybe go more into some specifics here that people have questions about or some other topic. Yeah, for sure. Sounds okay, good. have a great rest of your Sunday and I'll, I'll talk to you later. You too, man. Thanks for tuning into the Fitness Knobs Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussion, hit subscribe for more. Share with your fitness crew and help us grow by leaving a review. Stay fit, stay curious. This is Matt Flynn signing off.